You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Good evening and thanks for joining me here on this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and this week Ireland has lots to celebrate with three restaurants in Cork being awarded coveted Michelin stars for the first time. And food and drink producers from all over Ireland converged in Dingle at the weekend for the annual Blossnairn Irish Food Awards. And if you were tuning in last week you would have heard the radio documentary from earlier this year What a Blossed, 10 Years of the Irish Food Awards which told the story of how Blossnairn stars started and its journey up until its 10th year last year. Congratulations to the Supreme Champion, which went to a county down company called Rooney Fish for its Mill Bay Oysters. And there are too many winners to list here tonight, so do keep an eye out for the Blossnerin gold, silver and bronze labels when you're doing your shopping. Now, as I said, we have new Michelin star restaurants in Ireland and they're all in County Cork as it happens. So I've gone into the archives to find an interview I did in September 2016 with Rebecca Burr, director of the Michelin Guide Great Britain and Ireland. And also on tonight, I'm talking to Rebecca Steele and Dolores Prandeville about their new venture at Holly Tree Cottage in Newcastle West, County Limerick. A quick reminder of how to get in touch with me at the best possible taste. The email is s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation and I'm on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So time now to hear that interview from September 2016 with Rebecca Burr, director of the Michelin Guide Great Britain and Ireland and I wonder if the Cork restaurants who received stars last week were listening to this interview and taking notes two years ago. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Rebecca, thanks for taking the call this evening. Pleasure. We're very interested to start off talking about the history of the Michelin Guide and how it all came about. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a wonderful story, really. It was um, started by the Michelin Brothers in France over 100 years ago, their love of gastronomy. And they wanted to make a, a little guide that they gave to people that were buying tyres to, to help them stop along the way where to eat, um, where to where to stop, where to get their car fixed and things like that. It was given away free for people buying their tyres and it's just grown into this um, fantastic collection of guides covering oh, 28 countries at least and um, you know it's become the specialist arm of the Michelin tyre um, company and um, you know it's just it's, it's a wonderful addition and but you know humble beginnings started off um, you know it's family passion. So at the very start then they obviously were enjoying the cuisine at a number of these eateries themselves personally. Oh yeah very much I mean they, you know French gastronomes of their time um, and um, you know certainly all the heritage of the guys it started in France and uh, yeah, so that they were the ones that you know wanted to make this independent guide. Um, they wouldn't allow places to pay to be included, and we very much follow that philosophy to this day. So a hundred years plus later, here we are. It, it's a beast in itself, really, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's a manageable beast, a nice beast. Um, we, you know, we're very fortunate. We're very careful where we expand and um, the places we put in our guide. We're very selective. Um, you've probably heard about the Michelin stars. And whilst that is a big part of our guide, um, most highly publicised, we have lots of little restaurants, pubs, 
B&Bs and small hotels that are working very hard behind the scenes and they're also included in our in our selection. So places still can't pay to go in. And we want people to pick up the guide, go away for the weekend and go and try different places. Well, let's talk about the Michelin stars because you can get one, two or three stars as the ultimate accolade. Is that right? Yes, it is. Yeah, very much so. And um, they differ slightly. It's always about the food, regardless of whether it's one, two or three stars. For three stars, we're looking for the ultimate experience. And chefs that are making uh, or preparing that type of food at three-star level will not have it in a a shabby restaurant. Um, We'll we'll say that. But certainly at two stars, we're looking for more of a personality, a signature style. One star, you can be a very good replicator uh, um, of food. And, um, you know, but also there are places that still have their own style. But it's always about the food, good value for money consistency, good quality of ingredients. Because there are some very unusual venues, isn't there a Tokyo subway? That's right, yes, yeah. It's a very hard-working sushi chef that's, um, yeah, he's, um, you know, in, a, in an underground subway with just, um, I think it's about a handful of um, seats. I haven't been, but I know some people in my team have been. Um, and, yeah, just superb quality ingredients. I think you pay accordingly. Um, you can be in and out in, in, a, in, a, in a second. I mean, it's not a, a normal evening experience, but um, I believe the sushi is absolutely world class. Something I would yearn, I'll yearn to try for, it, or it'd certainly be on the bucket list, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's really how restaurants have become um, now. They're, they're treated very much as, as, you know, going out for a theatre or an opera or something. People save up. They've got a tick list of places they want to go and experience. And actually, these include places all over the world now. There are lots of people that know a lot about food. And it's an important part of their life. And, um, you know, we hope with the Michelin Guide we can take out all that guesswork. We've got independent professional inspectors who pay their own bills, know where to go. They've seen the selection around the world, whether that is Tokyo, Dublin, London, Barcelona, and they know the standard we're looking for. So we're looking for that consistency across our collection. And they are anonymous. People do not know who these inspectors are. No, I mean, generally not. Um, we try our utmost to try and get in undetected. Um, we used to do an announced visit every sort of 12 to 18 months. We're doing that a little bit less now because, you know, the inspectors, we invest in them. We want them to stay with us for a while. And, you know, if they come to you know, a little county in Cork, they're going to be recognised. And we don't want special treatment. We just want to pay our bill and get the same treatment as everybody else. But, um, yeah, they're they're not known. And we try not to book, but, um, you know, in some restaurants you've got to. Saying that, though, Mm -hmm. lots of people do, and we're not always alone, but people do go and eat out now, you know, on their own. They don't just hide in the hotel and have room service. They want to go out and experience, you know, very good restaurants. There is a movie out there at the moment called Burnt. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Oh, yeah. with Bradley Cooper in it. I just saw it there a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I don't know what you thought of it. But, I mean, in it, they had, this is the way the Michelin inspectors are. There will be two of them. They'll ask for a glass of water. They'll put a, a fork on there, a piece of cutlery on the floor. How true is that? Oh, 
I can't. It was a fun film, wasn't it? But I must admit, I watched it in horror and thought, no, we don't do that. No, we don't do that. No, we don't. And I suppose they, they played it up a little bit for the sake of the film. I think, I mean, what the film did portrayal is the hard work behind the scenes of the chefs and the passion and the camaraderie. And I think that was brilliant. But we certainly don't behave that way. And about, you know, I can't remember the last time I dropped a fork. We certainly don't go into the habit of it. If we, if we have ever done that, it's an accident. That's, you know, that's, that's not the sort of trick we play. Uh, we, don't, we don't have a system. We, you know, places are different these days. We don't go in with a set formula. Gosh, our, our work would be very boring if we did that. And um, no, no, we don't. But it, it caused us a chuckle, I must admit. And we, we did put out a tweet saying, no, we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a time, if I'm, if my memory serves me correctly, that a Michelin star restaurant would have been very much about the white linen table cloths and the linen napkins, and there was a, a, like an air of exclusivity to it. It was very expensive to dine in one of those restaurants, but now they have become more affordable. I suppose it's the competitive times we live in now, but also the decor and the the furniture and the ambience and everything can, varies immensely from one restaurant to another. It does, and that's what makes our work so interesting because they do. I mean, we're in an exciting times at the moment. I mean, I think it, you know it's the restaurants that have changed, not us. We change with them. Um, if anything, you know, we change a little bit before them. Actually, with some of our, our our new stars that we award every year, people think, oh, God, I never thought Michelin would recommend a star there. They haven't got tablecloths. They haven't got an army of waiters. But that's not necessary. Um, I mean, it would be unfair to not recognise places like that if the food's good enough. But, you know, we change with the times we always have, but we're observers of what's going on in the restaurants. And we're very blessed here in Ireland. We have a number of Michelin star restaurants now, how times have changed, mm-hmm. and two new stars in Northern Ireland last year. Yeah, it was a, it was a really good year, um, particularly for Belfast last year. Um, you know, it was a long time coming. Belfast's always been a very buoyant, um, exciting and vibrant city to dine in. And I think last year, both um, Ox and Epic, they, they just upped their game. I think they knew they had competition in the, in the city. Um, you know, it was an extraordinary year. And um, certainly for Ireland, you've got a nice scattering, scattering of stars. I mean, I think there really is room for, there's room for more, um, you know, because... It, it, you know, it's important, obviously, for the areas, but you know they're still they're on a par with areas and cities around the world. So um, I think there's still room for improvement, but I think you know that there are some fantastic restaurants, and they've been very consistent, and particularly in Dublin, over the years, there's been you know there was really room for for a little bit more to happen there. So yeah, fantastic. We we enjoy coming to Ireland. We cover the whole length and breadth of it, um, you know, wherever we can. And, um, yeah, you know, it's a really important part in our guide. And what advice would you give to a restaurateur and a chef listening tonight that is aspiring for that star and is working hard towards it? Oh, you know, that's, that's so nicely put because... You know, I think I think the fact they're interested is, you know, we, we, we you know we're encouraged by that. We would just say, you know, have a successful business, do the sort of food your your customers want and that you want to prepare, and just take it step by step. Don't be too adventurous too soon. 
um, make sure they're tried and tested recipes that people are paying their hard-earned money for and make sure they're offered on a consistent basis. And, you know, just, just, just look for that continuity, really. Um, good value for money. And you don't always have to break the mold. You know, you can just, you know, just, just go and visit some of the restaurants and, 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 and have a look. Um, you know, try and get out and, and see the different places. But, you know, just be true to yourself, really, and, and cook what you want to do. Market research is so important because I think a number of chefs do get so bogged down with being in the kitchen all the time that they don't take that time to go out and about and experience other restaurants and learn from other chefs and other restaurateurs. Well, you know, it's a very hard business to be in. You've got staff to look after and make sure they're doing the work correctly. You've got, you know, rates and a business to run and then the cooking as well. So we appreciate it's hard work and all, all we can do, as you know, from Michelin's point of view, is to support the restaurants, put them in the guide and hope we can send them some custom. But at the star level, we are really looking for consistency because we, you know, we want the stars to be there for a few years. We want um, our readers to feel that they've, you know, got a re- reliable selection. And also for the business, if we get into the habit of, taking stars away one year and giving them back they just would look inconsistent so um, you know we try and refrain from that Now it's usually around the autumn time that you announce who has retained their star and any new stars and this year you're doing it a bit differently tell us uh, tell us how you're going to, to do it this year Yes, we are a little bit differently. We're having um, a small event in London uh, as a press launch. Um, These have proved very successful in other countries, um, namely America, Spain and and latterly France and the Netherlands. And, you know, it's it's an important time of the year. For us, it's a culmination of a year's work. Um, we're investing in the inspectors, you know, making all these different visits around the country and also for the businesses, um, you know, being awarded a star. So, so yes, it's something a little bit different this year and I hope it will be a great success. It's being held on a Monday when we know lots of restaurants are closed. <laughs> so that's, that's important. And, um, you know, it's just a small gathering and hopefully um, a little bit of press from that, you know, for the restaurants. And it's, it's an important time. I have just one final question for you before you go, and that is, how does one become an inspector? How does one apply for that job, Rebecca? Are you, in- are you interested? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> to go and dine at all these fabulous restaurants. What well, a job. I know. Well, it is. It is. And we do have people that stay for a long time because um, they're not restricted to one particular area and they could find themselves working in Cornwall, Tokyo or Donegal. You know, it, it really does vary. And I think it's the mix that people like. I mean, we're looking for people that have had some sort of formal training at a hotel school, um, whether that's on the management side or, or, or as a chef, and preferably the latter, actually. Uh, we like more hands-on experience, and then experience in the industry, and then we're looking for people to be very flexible, mobile, inquisitive, um, you know, understanding, supportive, 
um, energetic. And um, that's it. We don't have any vacancies at the moment, I'm afraid. But, well, if uh, you do need somebody to go to that <laughs> Tokyo subway, sign me up immediately, I promise. <laughs> well, unfortunately, it's not just that. I mean, that's the, that's the top of the selection, but there's lots of other places to go to in between. I'm driving, lots of nights away on a blowy, cold winter's night that aren't quite as appealing when you don't want to get in your car and drive to a, drive to a pub in the middle of nowhere. So it's a bit of a mix, but um, it's a very interesting job and it's all encompassing. And I always say the inspectors have the, the more responsible role than, than me. I, I put it all together, but they are out seeing the places first of all, and they're determining whether somewhere is worth following for a star. And that's, you know, is crucial. So um, we're looking for really focused and experienced people. Well, it has been very interesting talking to you this evening. Thanks so much for joining us here on the programme and we look forward to those announcements later on this year. Oh, thank you for your interest and good questions. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by the Taste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was talking to Rebecca Burr, Director of the Michelin Guide Great Britain and Ireland and that interview was from September 2016. Congratulations again to the restaurants in Cork on their success and of course to all the other restaurants in Ireland for retaining their stars and the Greenhouse who I believe got a second star. If you're just tuning in now and you missed the start of the show, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And it's also on the taste.ie website. Now, next up, we are keeping it local with a visit to Holly Tree Cottage in Newcastle West, County Limerick, where I met Rebecca Steele and Dolores Prandeville to find out about their new holistic adventure. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Welcome everyone to Holly Tree Cottage. Um, This is actually um, Holly Tree Natural Clinic. So um, it's a natural health centre where people can come in and... Um, have nutrition, acupuncture, reflexology, massage um, and many more things, sacral cranial therapy. Um, Also we have classes as well, so we're running yoga classes, pilates, meditation, children's meditation, children's yoga. So we, we like to think that we've got something for everyone. Lots of different holistic treatments there. Nutrition is very much your passion. Mm-hmm. That's something that you have studied a lot in yeah. recent years. Yeah. So I trained in the College of Naturopathic Medicine, um, training to be a naturopathic nutritional therapist. Um, it is my passion. I do believe what you put in your mouth is going to reflect your health. And do you find that that's something now that people are more interested in coming to a nutritionist like yourself to get advice about what they should be eating? Well, I think in this day and age, I think we're seeing a lot more lifestyle problems. Um, You know, diabetes, overweight, um, heart disease. And I think those kind of diseases can all be prevented. And it's all lifestyle medicine, really. So that's what I aim to do, really. So with my nutrition... um, you know, when you think of a nutritional therapist, you just think of food. Um, but there's so much more to nutrition as well. It's taking the whole lifestyle, bringing it all together. You know, I do functional medicine tests, which check thyroids, gut health, stool tests, you know, food intolerance tests. So it's about treating the root cause of illness, really. 
And treating it naturally as opposed to yeah. with antibiotics yeah. or some form of yeah. medicine. Although, you know, sometimes I, I would say, you know, we can't do without doctors. Um, you know, sometimes we have to take medicine, but I definitely think there's so much you can do naturally. Absolutely. You're one of the founders of Holly Tree. So what made you decide to collaborate with other people to offer lots of different treatments here? I suppose when I first qualified, I was looking for rooms to rent and trying to find the best best place, really. Um, and my friend Dolores, she's an acupuncturist and established in Newcastle West. So we decided, you know, as we're good friends and we just thought, you know, this would be great to have a little venture together. Um, and the reason why we're bringing everyone else in as well is just to have everything under one roof. And I suppose it's both of our dream, actually, to have a natural health centre, isn't it? Let's talk a bit about the building because obviously the listeners can't see it. Describe it for us because it's a really beautiful old building. Mm-hmm. So it's an old railway building. It was actually renovated. So when you see it from the front, it just looks like an old cottage and it looks like you'd walk in and there'd be a room on each side. But actually, it's all being renovated, so it's very modern. I always think it's a bit like a grand design when you walk in, you know, the programme grand, grand designs. Um, it's got a beautiful feel about the place. Like the energy is beautiful in here, it really is. And everyone that comes in would comment that it just feels like you're in a different place than Newcastle West. It's definitely very much like a TARDIS. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more once you open the door. And I'm going to bring you in yeah. now, Dolores. Tell us about the treatment rooms and the facilities that you have here. Okay, so we have two treatment rooms and we also have two classrooms to use. Um, so the children's classes we have on downstairs and then uh, the adult classes would be upstairs. <clears throat> um, so as Becky said, we have loads of different treatment uh, options and uh, a lot of different practitioners. So we have the two treatment rooms going at the one time. And your area of expertise is Chinese medicine. Chinese medicine. So mm-hmm. Tell us the sort of ailments you would use that to treat. Mm-hmm. Basically, anything that you would go to your GP with is what you can go for Chinese medicine for. Um, so, I mean, some of the most common things would be fertility issues, gynecological issues, um, back pain, arthritis, uh, loads of stuff really, you know, there's, it's an endless list. And tell us a bit about your training, where did you study? Uh, I studied in the ICTCM, it's the Irish College of Traditional Chinese Medicine in Dublin. So it's three years of hardcore training. And you do about the equivalent in three years, you do the equivalent of what they do in China in five years, you know. So it's very intensive, but it's well worth it at the end of it when you come out the other end, you know. Often I find the people that are doing acupuncture, they have done something maybe holistic in a, in, in a previous career or nursing. What's your background before no, you came to do anything it? like that. Uh, so I worked in hospitality for a long time and then I dabbled in the electrical world. Um, I was never an electrician, but uh, I did some electrical work when I was abroad. And uh, anyway, I, I met a few people who'd had Chinese medicine treatment for different problems and uh, I just got fascinated with it because... I knew that the approach was completely different to what the Western approach would be. And I just thought, what is going on here? How can you stick a few needles in somebody and get results? So really, I just wanted to find out more. We have pathways along the body. It's, it's similar to the system for blood vessels. So you have pathways all over the body that take our energy, or what we call qi, throughout the body. And along these pathways, you've got acupuncture points, which are pockets of 
chi where the chi builds up a bit more. So in, by putting needles into these acupuncture points, you're accessing a big pocket of chi rather than just sticking it anywhere in the body, you know. And by accessing that chi or that energy, you can make changes. You've mentioned children there. Mm-hmm. And the idea to some people about sticking needles into children might be a bit daunting. What sort of reaction do you get from the children? Obviously, the parents have got over that. They brought them to you. So, I mean, there's some kids that just absolutely not, they do not want a needle near them, in which case their parents are not going to bring them anyway. I've had sometimes, I've had parents say, listen, they're they're not going to like needles. Is there anything else you can do? So there are things you can do. So... For example, uh, parents can massage specific points and you will get some kind of result with that. You might not get rid of the problem completely, but you, you could get some kind of a result with that. Usually with most kids, they're fine. And what I find the main thing is, is especially with very small children, is to distract them with something. The needle is in for, for babies, it's in for about 30 seconds to a minute. And for children, it'll be in for a couple of minutes, you know, so it's very quick. And what sort of ailments would you be treating a baby for? Oh, anything. Again, anything that they present with. So it could be um, digestive problems, uh, sleeping problems, uh, colic, anything really, you know. Having had two babies Mm -hmm. a number of years ago, you will do anything if they have, if there's something wrong with them, like you will try anything, for example, if they have reflux or colic or something yeah. like that. So it's great to have alternatives rather than pumping more yeah, medicine into and them. The, the great thing is that children and babies react really quickly to it. They've no they're, prejudice. No, they've no prejudice. And they haven't lived long enough to build up the amount of rubbish that we have, you know. So they're they're so quick. Um, I mean, for, for babies, you're, you're probably looking at one or two treatments, you know. They're they're really quick. So the sooner you bring them in, oh God, yeah. the better, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. So Becky, you've lots of different events taking place. Tell us about some of the, the things on the schedule. Okay, so um, being a nutritionist, I am planning to do lots of workshops, a workshop for parents to come in in an evening, and I will do food demo and to show about kids' pack lunches. You see, I get so many people coming in, especially because I work in Sonas Health Foods, and they're always talking about, you know, what do I do and how do I nourish my children through through a pack lunch? Um, and the whole pack lunches, it's just boring sandwich and apple, you know, yoghurt. So what else can you do? So I suppose that class will be, be a nice one. Um, and then we're going to be running different workshops. You have an open day coming up. We do. So we have a public open day on the 12th of October. Um, so we'll open a holly tree for everyone to come in and look around. So that's from 7 till 9pm. And then on the Saturday the 13th, we're actually opening the day for a free day if you want to have a little sample treatment so you could come in and have, you know, a 20-minute Reiki session or a little head massage or come in and listen to the practitioner's talk. Um, I'll probably do a little food demo because everyone likes to eat. Um, so, yeah, it should be a fantastic day, really. And it's, a, it's you know, it, sometimes you want to do a certain, maybe, yoga, but you think that you're not able for it. So even just come in and do a half-an-hour yoga session just to sample it and also meet the teacher as well. 
So it's adult only um, and that just gives the chance for the adults to be able to focus and listen to what the practitioners have to say. Fantastic. Well, it's on Friday the 12th of October from 7 o'clock to 9pm. You have a Facebook page, Holly Tree Natural Clinic and Instagram as well so people can get all the details there. And congratulations, a fabulous enterprise and I hope it goes very well for you both. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan, sponsored by thetaste.ie, voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, Rebecca Steele and Dolores Prandeville were telling me about the treatments on offer in Holly Tree Cottage and their open night is this Friday the 12th of October so check out their Facebook page for details. And earlier in the show we delved into the archives to hear Rebecca Burr, director of the Michelin Guide Great Britain and Ireland when she appeared on the show in September 2016 and given the news that three restaurants in Cork received Michelin star last week for the first time we thought it was timely to replay that interview if you want to catch up on best possible taste it's repeated on west limerick 102 fm on wednesday mornings at 8 a.m the podcasts are available to listen to on sharonnoonan.com as well as itunes and the podcast app and it's also on the taste.ie website And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks to you for listening and don't forget to get in touch with all your food and drink news, recipes and events. Email me on s.noonan at live.ie. I'll be back next week. So until then, bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. To get in touch with the best possible taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. Bon Appetit!